Topic for our demo talk this Saturday evening is Benefits of Mindfulness Saturday Meditation Part 2. Now, you might certainly remember it near that at the outset of our retreat, the June retreat, there was mention of a noble search. We're all engaged in a noble search. Whether this noble search is leading to noble results or not, that remains to be seen. So, now, during this talk, I will focus on two, three major major points. And certainly the first one is... uh, dealing with uh, the fact that formations do break up, they do disintegrate, they do dissolve. And then having done this, we'll take a big leap towards an area of our practice where lots of equanimity is prevalent. And then, finally, we'll speak about uh, uh, just a little bit about uh, the four, uh, well, Nibbana, and if time permits, the four noble truths. Now, for Formations, too, end in one way or another is actually not an unusual experience. This happens again and again. So if you take a drop of rain that suddenly then falls to the ground, it suddenly will then disperse into um, many, many tiny water particles. Or, in the case of a lightning, when you carefully look at a lightning, then you are likely to see this lightning mostly ending. And then, when you think of preparing popcorn, then uh, and you actually see how this process is happening, and you also uh, witness this by carefully listening to what is happening, then you'll find the different uh, corns popping one after, bursting one after another. There's a story uh, that certainly relates to the time of Phutna the Buddha while well, he was residing at the Jetavana Monastery in Nisawati. At that time, there was a group of 500 uh, monastics, bhikkhus, who had certainly taken 
a subject of meditation from the Buddha and then uh, traveled into a deep forest and then practiced there. However, their practice wasn't all that successful. So eventually they figured, well, why should we stay here? And then they all returned. On their way back to the Jitavana monastery, they saw a mirage and suddenly they meditated on it. And then, when they were just about to enter the compound of the monastery, a storm broke out and big drops of rain were falling onto the ground and suddenly then bursting one after another. Now at this point, the bhikkhus that they carefully observed and so then wisely reflected that this body of ours is perishable, perishable like those sudden bubbles. And they perceived, they deeply perceived the universal characteristic of impermanence of all impermanence of all the formations that are then grouped as the five aggregates. Now, the Buddha saw this group of 500 bhikkhus coming along and suddenly he then spoke in verse. If a person looks upon the world, namely the world of the five aggregates, as one who looks upon a bubble as one who looks upon a mirage is out of sight of the king of death. Now those 500 bhikkhus all became arahants. So they did for them the noble quest that led to an extremely noble result. Now all of this event shows us that the Buddha and his disciples were aware of the breaking apart of formations. This was nothing alien to them. And, you know, and the Buddha even then had a Dhammapada verse Satna to offer on this particular occasion. Now, when we as Satna retreatants undergo intensive mindfulness meditation practice, then we'll experience over time an unfolding of intuitive wisdom and this happens certainly in a rather systematic structured manner and our practice then might reach a point where the perception of objects becomes clear and at times even crystal clear. And this thing being a new, uh, relatively new experience, we do what? We get attached to it. We hang on 
to it. However, you know, the disappointment is just around the corner <laughs> because uh, you know, that clarity of perception is only of a limited nature or limited to you know, duration. Now, very soon, from a real practical point of view, from a retreatant's point of view, a retreatant will, to his or her consternation, of, of, of realize that objects, for some unknown reason, become vague, become foggy, the perception becomes blurred, fuzzy, out of focus. And one thinks, what is wrong? Am I doing something wrong here? No, but I'm, put, I'm putting an effort and I'm trying to you know, be mindful from moment to moment. So something is not quite right. And plus then you know, the mind wanders more you know, than usual. So you know, this is quite certain a change in practice. No. As a retreatant certainly then continues with much certain patience and determination, he or she will then gradually notice, and this happens naturally, that the endings of formations become more prominent. They start to stick out. They come into the foreground of our observation. And so then oftentimes we'll see an object being there and then breaking up. However, the genesis of this object does not get suddenly revealed. Now, over time one gets used to this new way of experiencing formations. Now, as one observes certainly carefully, one might certainly find that one's labeling seems to slow down. And certainly the labeling that earlier on was quite certainly close and quite in sync with the arising of objects now tends to be a bit further apart. Now, another development might happen, and to some you know, this uh, may appear to be uh, a bit disconcerting, is that the contour or the form of foot the body gradually breaks up. At first, maybe just uh, you know, the form or shape of some parts of the body and ultimately of you know, the entire form of you know, the body. Now, so far we've been very much used to you know, the fact of you know, clearly being able to locate an object. So to know in our mind exactly where a particular sensation is happening. So let's say a pain is there and we know exactly it's happening in the right knee. Now, at this point in the practice, this is not the case anymore. So something then changes, with this something then changes quite drastically. 
Over time, we get used to it, and we gradually learn to focus on the sensation itself, and not to worry too much about the fact that that we can no longer locate an object. Now, as we keep carefully paying attention to the breaking up of certain formations, we then realize that certainly there is no one standard ISO 9500 way of the breaking up of formations. But rather, these at times can easily and quickly break up into thousands of tiny bubbles which then in the Pali, this particular type of breaking up is known in the Pali scriptural language as babangu, brittleness of the formations. Now, over time, a retreatant is likely to further experience a speeding up of the dissolution processes. So if earlier on it certainly took maybe many minutes for an object to break apart, now it might just take a couple of seconds or just a couple of moments. And when this happens again and again, a retreatant at times certainly might find himself or herself in a situation where there is no, where there is a state of nothingness. So no solid object is there to be, bodily object is there to be observed. Now. It may further happen that a retreatant experience what certain we might certainly then call the dissolution, the breaking up, serial dissolution of the object itself, and then as a further developed certain form, the double breaking up of things, namely the object and the labeling, and certainly then even a triple breaking up of formations, namely of the object, the labeling, plus the consciousness with which the earlier dissolution of a physical object was certainly seen. It's not uncommon for retreatants during this certain phase in the practice to then come across thoughts or images or even dreams related to death. Now, this is not surprising whatsoever because one is mostly observing the ending of formations, in other words, the dissolution of formations, the death of certain formations. 
It is further not uncommon among the retreatants to experience a certain sense of dizziness or giddiness, especially in the walking practice. Some retreatants, to be on the safe side, start holding on to hand railings or to a nearby wall. Now, it also is quite certainly common to experience a sense of loss of control and a certain insecurity and certain instability that certainly goes along with this. So, we're used to formations to be solid, permanent, and now instead we see them breaking up all the time. So then what is left? Where is this going to end in? Now at times one might certainly then experience formations breaking up extremely rapidly like fireworks is certainly breaking uh, the sparks of Fatna fireworks are uh, one by one mm, uh, uh, breaking up. Now, this breaking up of formations is certainly not limited to bodily formations, but can also uh, be experienced with regard certain to mental formations. So, even if a mental factor like perception is thought or believed to be, wrongly believed to be, compact over time, one starts to realize that even this perception is certainly gradually breaking up. Retreatants might find that at times objects gradually fade away, so the dissolution is of a more of a bit of a manner that takes up more time, and suddenly then again it could be quite different. An object all of a sudden, while one observes it, then gets suddenly cut off as if one were to chop vegetables. And so then there is a particular form of breaking up in which an object that seems at first relatively compact then simply breaks up into thousands of particles. So it's kind of like an explosion type of breaking up. Now, then we have what is known in the Pali scriptural language as Vaya Nupasana, namely the contemplation of the passing away of Fatna formations. And in this case, an 
when observing an object, briefly observing an object, it seems the next time we want to take a look at it, it's gone already. So in this case, the the breaking up of certain objects is happening in an extremely rapid manner. Now, this much for just the practical side of things, and from a theoretical point of view, the the text in the Patisambhita Magga, the path of discrimination, comes up with the following four verses that nicely describe what is happening. Namely, the verses, the first verse says, the substitution of the object, transference of understanding, the power of adverting, these are insight following reflection. Now, substitution of the object means having witnessed the dissolution of some bodily formation, then the next moment one then observes the dissolution of certain consciousness that earlier on just was conscious of the dissolution of that material object. Transference of understanding is said with regard to an interesting feature, namely that Satna the mind is no longer focused at observing the the arising and the passing of formations, but rather specializes entirely, or for the most part, in the observation of the breaking up, the dissolution of formations. Then the power of adverting. This certain expression points to the fact that certain the mind is extremely versatile at this point uh, in the practice. So, having seen the dissolution of some bodily object, the next moment it then adverts to the dissolution of consciousness. And that happens really quickly. Sometimes it could be even three things in a row. So first seeing the dissolution of a material object, then seeing the dissolution of the labeling, and then the next moment the mind adverting to the breaking up of consciousness. So these certainly then are all phenomena related to the insight or the knowledge of the dissolution of objects. Now, the second Satna verse, Satna says, defining both Satna to be alike by inference from that same object, intentness on cessation, these are insight in the mark of Satna fall. And Satna here, by defining both Satna to be alike, is Satna meant both the seen as well as certainly the unseen objects. 
So as certainly as the objects of the present time are seen as dissolving, one can then assume that certainly the same thing applies to the objects of the past as well as the objects of the future. Now, at first, when objects suddenly become vague, somewhat indiscernible, or let's say blurred, then a retreatant is usually not that delighted with what is suddenly going on. However, in the course of time, this changes. This changes dramatically, and suddenly then the mind starts taking interest in observing the breaking up of formations. So it wants to find out what is suddenly going on. So then it attaches much importance towards suddenly a careful observation of the breaking up of formations. It tends, it leans in that direction. So those are three, you know, defining both to be alike by inference from what that from that same object, intentness on cessation. These are insight in the mark of fall. So you know, insight into the you know, dissolution, the breaking up of you know, objects. Now the third verse states. Having reflected on the object, dissolution one contemplates, appearance then as empty. This is insight of higher understanding. Now, having reflected on the object, is Satnas said simply having observed and known the, um, and having observed an object. And suddenly, then contemplating its sudden dissolution, and so as one keeps suddenly doing this, then formations clearly appear to be empty. Empty of what? Empty of a self. And so, and so, when this sudden particular experience is suddenly there, then one speaks of insight of higher understanding, and this satna then involves three aspects, namely having known an object, the contemplation of its dissolution as number two, and number three, the appearance of these formations as void. So this then is known as insight of higher understanding, adi nyapanya vipassana in the Pali scriptural language. So it's a very specific name for this particular experience. Now, the fourth and last verse in this connection says, skilled in the three contemplations and in the fourfold insight too, skilled in the three appearances, the various views will shake him or her not. Now, skilled in the three contemplations refers to the contemplation of Fertner formations as impermanent, 
unsatisfactory and certain, um, that they are uh, not formations or the self cannot be identified certain with certain formations. And Sapna then, having further undertaken the fourfold Satna insight, which Satna the Patisamida Magga and Visuddhi Magga refers to or explains to be the insight, knowledge of disenchantment, then of a fading of greed, fading away of greed, viraga, and certainly then contemplation of cessation, nirada, and finally contemplation of relinquishment, patinisaga, in the Pali scriptural language. No. And then it says skilled in the three, in these, in three appearances, Formations then are experienced as being liable to destruction and fall, which is a reference to impermanence. They, are, they might also be experienced as, uh, well, a bit certainly shocking, and certainly then further as void. So these are three terms that again refer back to impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and to the absence of a self or that the fact that the self is not identical with certain formations. Now having understood certainly this much having seen hundreds and if not thousands and thousands of times how the formations keep breaking up then can does one still believe in the so-called eternity view that formations are eternal obviously not so this then doesn't make much sense anymore now, by undertaking you know, this uh, particular uh, particular contemplation, or by focusing on you know, the breaking, naturally focusing on you know, the breaking up of certain formations, certain benefits are can be expected to you know, go along with the experience, namely. The Visuddhimagga states eight certain such benefits. The first one, as we've seen, the abandoning of the false view of becoming, namely the eternity view. If there's been a great deal of attachment to life itself, that attachment we will then gradually give up. Now, Observing formations as certain breaking up all the time, then will make it clear that certain death can occur at any point, and certain this thing will lead to what? Urgency, yes, a sense of urgency, and out of this, our effort will. It will increase. There you go. 
and so in the or through the arising of a sense of urgency we will no longer be interested or less interested in a base and low type of livelihood. So those things are just not important anymore. They don't matter anymore. And one has more important things to do. So this then brings, in a natural way, brings about a purification of one's livelihood. One furthermore loses interest in big and small worldly matters. So one realizes that certain practice is just more important and uh, then the local gossip really doesn't matter. Now, a similarity here is to a person who's fallen seriously uh, ill. When ill, will he or she still be very concerned with the current gossip? Not. There you go. So, there is a more important thing to attend to, namely the current illness, and suddenly then an effort needs to be exerted to overcome it. Now, as one gradually realizes that suddenly the self isn't, or that formations are not suddenly permanent, then there's really nothing permanent to hold on to for the the seeming uh, uh, self, and thus there is a certain absence of fear. There's less worry about the self. Now, the Visuddhimagga further states that this particular type of observation strengthens one's patience and gentleness. And then the last point is that a retreatant starts to take delight in practicing in a secluded forest location and that takes delight in samatha and satna vipassana meditation and satna is less pulled towards satna essential delight. So these are already some substantial benefits that can be gained in the course of satna, the practice. Now, we'll make a big or will take a big leap ahead and having observed bodily and mental formations over and over again 
and sadness seen that they are all subject to impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and sadness that sadness they are void of the self. With this sadness, then the mind becomes somewhat equanimous towards sadness formations. One no longer takes them as I or mine. Now, this certainly is then an important change in the practice. One will find that certainly the mind will gradually recoil more and more from the observation of external phenomena, external sights and sounds and smells and such and the like, and rather be focused on just a few major internal objects, being with one object for a longer period of time, one at a time. Now, it may take a while for a retreat to ensure that the equanimity is suddenly really quite strong. So what oftentimes suddenly happens is that equanimity develops to some extent, but it's still pretty fragile fragile and it's not going to last very long. So maybe it lasts just for two, three minutes and then one loses one's equanimity again. And with this, then the practice tends to drop off. Now, this is not a major difficulty but rather just to be acknowledged as such, as a drop in practice, and then to go back to work. The ordinary, the usual work of being mindful of whatever prominent object then comes up. Now, the more that one practices, the more one's equanimity becomes stronger and then also better established in the mind and lasting for a longer period of time. Now, having seen formations over a period of days and weeks, in the light of anicca, of dukkha, of anatta, one gradually becomes weary of them. One gets disenchanted with them. One might further really seek the ending of one might really want to escape from this whole range of formations. So seeking, desiring deliverance or liberation from the entire field of formations. So all of that has been experienced and yet 
the mind doesn't quite know how to do it. How to gain this uh, deliverance? How to gain you know, this certain liberation? Now, the answer is just keep going. Just keep going, keep going with your mindful observation. And certainly when conditions are ripe and some conditions are, um, all the necessary conditions are in place, then you know, the mind will find the door you know, to liberation. We mukha mukha in the Pali you know, scriptural language. And so with this then, while observing some prominent object, for instance, in the mode of impermanence, anicca, the mind then gains some gains some good momentum and then crosses over from the mundane sphere to the supramundane sphere. And the mind will then take Nibbana as an object for the first time. Once suddenly this experience has happened, the mind realizes that this is a really peaceful place and it will naturally try to go back to it. And so then it will try again and again to find that uh, door of uh, liberation, at times finding it, at times not finding it. So the Visuddhi Magad describes three major stages in the development of this particular phase of one's meditation practice. The first one is seeing formations in the light of anicca, dukkha and anatta. The second one is the abandoning of terror and delight or of shock and delight and then eventually the mind becomes, after becoming neutral and equanimous in the investigation of objects, then um, that crossing over takes place. It is during this phase when equanimity gradually develops towards all formations that these seven awakening factors come into play one by one and then gradually they gain strength and also come into balance. And equanimity, awakening factor of equanimity is one of those factors. Now, during this certain phase in one's practice, oftentimes the contemplation of the mind, 
of Ferdinand Mental objects is in the foreground. And this is something that just happens naturally. Physical formations become less and less discernible, and suddenly with this, the mental formations come more and more into the foreground, and thus our attention then gets focused on them. Now, there are uh, some uh, difficulties that certainly tend to arise you know, to well establish certainly the equanimity, and certainly some of these are you know, the so called grease pole, the grease pole situation. So, this means what? Grease pole is specific or is well known in Burma. It's a public uh, uh, competition. So you have what? A bamboo pole. And suddenly, in the top compartment of this bamboo hole, some holes get suddenly drilled into it. And suddenly, then, some oil gets filled into this compartment. And suddenly, then, uh, 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 the pole gets uh, um, set up. And the competition um, consists in climbing up uh, the grease pole, and there's uh, you know, some uh, price that they you know, placed at the very top. So, um, as a, comp as a, a person um, is very eager to uh, Gained or catch that certain prize at certain the top, he or she will climb up near the grease pole in a vigorous manner and certain thus cause plenty of oil come streaming out of or flowing out of those holes, and certain this then will make it increasingly difficult to reach the top. So you. It gains some you know, some height, and so, you know, then it gets more and more you know, greasy, oily, and so, you, know, you lose it again. And so, you know, so again and again, you know, you'll you know, or such a person that will have to you know, climb up the grease pole you know, to you know, find himself or herself you know, sliding you know, back again. Now, imbalances of the controlling faculties as well as certainly the awakening factors may uh, make the practice really difficult. And as long as certainly these imbalances you know, don't get suddenly corrected, you know, no crossing over you know, will you know, take place. Sometimes retreatants are running out of steam, even though they are very eager to practice, yet after, let's say, a longer retreat of many months of intensive practice, well, then the energies or the strength is just not there anymore, 
and satya then it's difficult yeah, to uh, gain yeah, that supramundane yeah, state. There are yeah, subtle hindrances that come in the form of expectations, anticipation, hopes and desires, setting goals for the practice or being under time pressure you know, to finish uh, you know, one's finish off you know, one's meditation practice. So let's say today is uh, June 29th and the retreat ends on is that so? It's the 28th. Yeah, it's wrong here. It says the 29th. Uh, so um, that certainly being so, a retreat in my figure, well, I only have about uh, a day and a half left, and certainly by the time I uh, step onto you know, that uh, uh, airport certainly shuttle service, by that time the Dhamma should be mine. <laughs> and uh, that certainly then will make your life extremely difficult during those remaining hours. So it's much better to simply forget about that shuttle bus and certainly then just focus on your practice without any expectations whatsoever. Now, attachment to wholesome mental states like calmness or you know, to you know, mindfulness or to you know, wisdom, to faith, you know, this too you know, might uh, turn out to you know, be uh, a subtle uh, hindrance. Now, if all goes well, the one does manage to climb up the grease bowl. And suddenly then pick up that price money. Now, this suddenly then, in the case of the meditation practice, will go along with an, an entirely new experience, namely the experience of Nibbana. And Nibbana then is so different from anything that certainly we are uh, aware of, that we are familiar with in terms of conditioned formations. When it comes to conditioned certain formations, you, know, you can define them by you know, things such as location of an object. You can define them you know, in terms of time. You can define them in terms of color, in terms of shape, and you know, then uh, in various other you know, ways. And all of you know, in terms of composition, like. Um, being very compact or not that compact. But in the case of Nibbana, do these categories make any sense? Jim, what do you think? They don't make sense. So, in no way, 
or, or in hardly any way can we ex- compare you know, the experience of Nibbana with the experience of uh, delighting in the forest around Satna here. Now, certain worldly experiences bring about some you know, degree of happiness, but this certain happiness is different from you know, the happiness that arises um, in the wake of uh, um, you know, the experience of Nibbana. So for the most part, the, you know, the condition type of happiness depends on certain you know, conditions, depends oftentimes on the gratification of our um, sense of desires. Now, or it's a form of happiness that arises out of you know, the meditation practice, like uh, you know, that Dhamma, uh, Rati Dhamma, that delight. However, the difference between you know, the happiness that you know, is associated with Nibbana and the other you know, type of uh, conditioned happiness is that in as for the happiness of Nibbana, it is a form of non-sensate happiness. It is not dependent on any kind of sense door inputs or impressions. That's... uh, Not even the sixth? Sense here, mind, sense. No. And so, uh, so this certain state of nibbana then has been referred to as uh, um, birthless as well as deathless. So, it is a state that is available to those who've trained the mind, who've purified the mind of impurities, and Satna then, sooner or later, access to Nibbana becomes a reality. And it's also a state that Satna does go on. So it's a state Satna that uh, is said to be uh, deathless. State Tatna that can be tuned into in the present and that was available also in the long distant Tatna past as well as Tatna will be available in uh, the future. Nibbana has certainly been explained in yet a different way, namely as certainly standing polarized to the concept of samsara. So as samsara stands for the ceaseless continuance from birth to death and again from birth to death, Nibbana 
is undoubtedly the joyous termination of this painful samsaric process that keeps rolling on and on and on. Now, this certainly brings us, brings us pretty much to near the end of today's certain discourse near during the final talk tomorrow evening we'll briefly take a look at the four mindful contemplation of the four noble truths as part of of the Satipatthana instructions. So allow me to conclude, may this mindfulness meditation bring you more and more benefits that really bring about changes, profound changes in the mind, bring about changes into your life, positive changes into your life, and ultimately may the realization of the peace of Nibbana then take place and may this transform this experience go along with a profound transformation and with this may at least three fetters be cut off once and for all, namely the fetter of the wrongful belief in a self, then the fetter of skeptical doubt, and finally the fetter of again a wrongful belief that by engaging in rites and rituals, liberation can be gained. And this is it for today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.